Hello, welcome to this week's Opening Bell podcast. I'm Boxing News Editor Tris Dixon, joined back in the saddle by Matt Christie. I suddenly became averse to the phrase back in the saddle um, when I said that. Actually, I'm not going broke back mountain. <laughs> um, Matt, how's it going? Yeah, it's going, it's going well. It's good to be back. It's good yeah. to be back. Have you quite recovered from your Pacquiao trip? Yeah, that seems like such a long time ago now. Yeah. Does, doesn't it? I yeah. mean, who would have thought there's been another big fight in Vegas since then? Yeah, I know. I know. Amazing, isn't it? Time flies. And although, um, although uh, the Mayweather fight now feels like a long way away, there's already, t- well, I say there's already talk. We know officially that Mayweather will be back in action on September the 13th. Yeah. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited. I am excited. It would be, it would be nice to see him going with um, uh, someone like Sean Porter or Keith Thurman just to freshen things up a bit. Um, Marcus Maidana wouldn't be as exciting because, despite you know, however, whatever your view on that fight is, the, the logic tells you that Mayweather will find it easier next time round. Yeah, I somehow think that. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly why, apart from Mayweather's obviously been better in the rematch that he's had, but, and he obviously has a fantastic boxing brain. I'm not sure why, even at his age, 37, people think he'll, he'll he'd find things easier the second time around. I suppose what Maidana's got going for him is that, as far as rematches go, they don't come any easier to make and more on tap than Mayweather Maidana yeah. too. You've got two guys, they've got all the material from... They're all access shows. They've got all the post-fight stuff. They can kick in the promotion, basically carry on from where this one left off. They've got all the material at their disposal. They've got what they could obviously sell as a controversial ending, scorecards. They could probably maybe interview the four people that scored it for Maidana and make it interesting. Uh, And I think that's on tap. If you look at Thurman and for Porter, for, for the wrong reasons... They are out of the game because I don't think they're widely well enough known yet. Obviously, Maidana had the springboard of the um, of the Adrian Broner fight before, which did big big ratings on TV in the USA. Porter and Thurman haven't really had those breakout moments there to get them introduced to the wider public. I suppose where I'm going with this is Floyd wants to sell again. He wants a sellable storyline. Whether they've they're going to have enough time to sell in a storyline between now and September 13. I don't know, whereas the, May- the Maidana rematch comes with built-in storylines all the way through. Yeah, it does make sense, and I guess each one now is an event, isn't it? And, you know, for things to be events, it has to be almost two-sided. And I, I, I do see that, but from kind of a boxing fan standpoint rather than a sports fan standpoint, I feel that with Mayweather now so obviously close to the end... And I think I touched on it the last time I was on the podcast two weeks ago. Is that the May- Mayweather proved his super- superiority over Maidana? Perhaps not. Perhaps not. Um, it wasn't as one-sided as many expected. But that's done now. Let's let's move on to someone else. So, kind of look at it from a point of view as well. From as, as, as from Floyd Mayweather, perhaps should is that he should be trying to climb as many different mountains now, rather than going back over ones he's already scaled. Yeah, interesting. And also this week, um, it does seem, and I don't want to keep harping on about it because I have done since about 2009, but now it almost seems official 
that the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight is further away than it's ever been before. Yeah, I mean, I kind of put something together on the website this morning. You know, headline was that now the Mayweather, the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight looks looks completely buried now. Um, it's a shame. It really is a shame, and I just, I, I just. I'm st- it still it still bothers me, and I know what you're saying. I know you were saying it three years ago that you're sick and tired of talking about it. Um, and what is the point in talking about something that isn't going to happen? However, it's a it's a huge miss for boxing history that Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao haven't got it on. I think it's so it's it's horrendous to be quite honest. I mean, can you imagine if they'd fought three times in five years? You know how big it would yeah. have been if they'd rebuilt and all the rest of it since, and and how big that rivalry could have been. It could have been. Certainly, an era-defining rivalry, if not a sport-defining rivalry, because they were so big at, at any one time, yeah. uh, and globally as well, not just in the USA, but it would have had massive, far-reaching consequences that fight. Yeah, it would have done, and, and the ideal time would have been probably after Pacquiao had beaten Cotto. It was that two thousand nine, tail end of two thousand and nine? So set that up for the start of two thousand and ten, and you'd have had a fight to rival in terms of size and interest, anything else in boxing history. Um, and I'd still believe even now it would break, it would smash all sorts of records. But the best of Mayweather has gone, I believe. The best of Pacquiao has gone, I believe. Uh, so it's a great shame. But even so, I still think the pair of them should, should just think, you know, sod this, let's just fight. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I think, um, just to give context, it's, but the reason why we think it's further away, you check out the story on the website, Pacquiao's renewed his deal with um, Bob Arum, top rank, uh, to go to the end of 2016. 2016, it'll be 37-38 then. Which means it'll basically be taken through to retirement. They're, lo- they're still looking for him to fight twice a year. He should be fighting in November, back in Macau in China, uh, and then two fights in 2015, 2002 and 2016. Yeah. So five more fights and out for Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, and... You know, it wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if if, if he went before that. Um, I was incredibly impressed with him against Timothy Bradley, uh, but I'd, I'd be surprised if he's still the force, even that he is now in two years' time. Right. Okay, interesting stuff. But Manny's rival, great great rival, one he he's fought four times more than Floyd Mayweather. Juan Manuel Marquez uh, returned to form with a comprehensive points win over Mike Alvarado. Uh, he actually decked Alvarado with a really stinging right hand. Touched down himself later in the fight, Marquez. Um, but no massive surprises for Marquez coming through Alvarado, Matt? Um, no, no, no surprise. But I did, I gave Alvarado, I mean, judging by last week's Heroes and Villains, I gave Alvarado more of a chance than than the rest of my colleagues, I think. Um, and it wasn't, that wasn't a, a rub on, on Marquez's achievements or, or you know, questionable ability. I'm just kind of starting to think now, what, Marquez, is he 40? Long old career behind him, some rough old wars. And it was just that kind of school of thought that, that sooner or later that's going ha- to take its toll and, and, and Marquez could lose an unexpected one. Um, and I thought Alvarado might might be the man to do it but certainly gun to my head I'd have absolutely have picked Marquez to win and to win convincingly okay good stuff uh, so onwards and all, onwards and upwards for Marquez who's, who's not who's, who sort of played down a fifth fight with Pacquiao a little bit so he's not going to comment yet a couple of guys for him to fight I suppose if he wants the Bradley rematch he could go for that 
Is Provodnikov? I'd like to see him and Provodnikov. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a cracking fight. I'd rather see, I think, Marquez Provodnikov than than Pacquiao Marquez again. I know you'd like to see it because you were there for that that fantastic fourth fight. But there is kind of a feeling for me now that it's we, we've we've seen enough of that. I think the wild card for Pacquiao actually will be if if Marquez doesn't play ball for a fifth fight, is that Provodnikov gets that fight in yeah. Macau. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which would be a, a a great great fight, I think. Pacquiao Provodnikov. If Provodnikov's not too careless, they'll walk onto one, yeah. do something stupid. But you never know. Uh, Matt, so I was in Wales. Pick my brains about the Wales show. I, I watched Nathan Cleverly uh, return to the ring. Yeah, I mean, first, I mean, okay, on paper, Cleverly knockout or stopped you in round two. Were you impressed with the with the nervy feelings around ringside? Because it's always tough for a fighter to get back in the ring after losing so convincingly last time out. Well, a few, yeah, there's a couple of things from there, actually. Nicely phrased question. Um, I didn't feel there was an air of nerves at ringside. Um, and it, it seemed very early on in the fight that Corbin seemed out of his depth. Yeah. So that's obviously puts people at ease when they can see that one fighter is clearly dominant. Uh, Nathan didn't really take any clean shots, nothing really big, and certainly nothing that troubled him. Uh, and he was—he sort of poured on the pressure. Uh, I thought there was a bit of um, apprehension to some of his early work, as you'd imagine. Um, but ultimately, as as his great rival Tony Bellew said, um, he sort of did as expected. Really, he did you know tick the box, as it were. Credit to Cleverly though for a couple of things. One thing. As you know, for, for Boxing News, we're the first people into the arena and the last people to leave, sort of turn the lights off when everyone's finished kind of job. And uh, after the main event, which was Lee Selby's fight, um, there was still Chris Jenkins to fight. And he, he, right. he boxed seven rounds of an eight-rounder. And to be fair to Matchroom and Nathan Cleverly, they, um, they kept Nathan behind so he could speak to us in the dressing room. And so I went to I went to Nathan after the Jenkins fight. Everyone else had gone, and it was just me, Cleverly, and his team. And fair play to Cleverly, a for sticking around to talk to us, but b um, he told me a bit about obviously the demons that he was facing from the Kovalev fight because that wasn't just the same arena he lost to Sergey Kovalev in at the end of last year, but um, he used the same dressing room. So we were talking in the same dressing room where he sort of warmed up, and obviously then later on had his heart broken when he had to face up to the first loss in his professional career. So there were a lot of psychological ghosts hanging yeah. around the Motor Point Arena for Cleverly. And he, you know, he passed all the tests with flying colours and, and fair play to him. Obviously he will need a stif- stiffer test, most likely on July the 12th, if he's go- going to get the Bellew fight on November the 29th. There might even, you'd like to think there might even be another, time, another fight in September, August or September time, if they're going to fight in November. Um, so maybe he's Nathan back. I mean, what's the rush? If you're building to a four, towards a fight on November 29th, there's no need to there's no need to rush it. So you just got to tick over and keep busy, keep keep rebuilding. Because so I think the the rebuilding job for Cleverly after Kovalev is a more severe rebuilding job than the one Bellew had after Adonis Stevenson. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Um, I think there's also been perhaps about both of them actually, perhaps about Bellew and um, Cleverly is that neither of them particularly look like cruiserweights and it's almost as if they've jumped ship 
they've jumped the light heavyweight shit because of what was lurking and what they've come up against at light heavyweight. I mean, I, I spoke to someone and they were saying, well, if you know Cleverly was going to do that, he should have moved down to super middleweight rather than moving up to cruiserweight. Has he got? Has he got? Is he strong enough? Has he, has he got the power at cruiserweight? Well, that's we what we'll have to see. I mean, I think Nathan had a bit of a power surge. I don't know if you remember when he moved up to light heavyweight because he hadn't been stopping people at super middle, and then when he moved up, he stopped. A, he stopped a, um, several guys consecutively, uh, and obviously now he's had the one fight at cruiserweight. He's bombed someone out in two rounds, so you can't say it's not there yet. Yeah. Um, whether it goes at a certain level uh, remains to be seen. Um, I don't know. It's interesting that you say that. I mean, certainly, if you look at the the other champions uh, at cruiserweights, even if you pick out Marco Hook, who might be regarded as the best cruiser around at the moment, I'd give Cleverly and Bellew a decent chance against Hook. I really would. Whereas, obviously, Stevenson, Kovalev, and Hopkins, I think all three of them would start as betting favourites against Cleverly and Bellew now. Do you? Th- but do you? So, okay. Say if. Um it's a silly question, but but to me, it is it is. It's not like a case as, as the bodies force them to move up. It is a case of the competition. Say, for example, Bellew had Bellew had upset Adonis Stevenson. Cleverly had somehow got through Kovalev. Would we be looking at two cruiserweights? I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'd still be looking at two light heavyweights. Possibly, but then there, there would come a point where they would get picked off. I mean, Bellew's been talking about moving up to cruiserweight for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah. So it was on the wall for Bellew. Cleverly, I think he could, well, he said he could still make light heavyweight, but the, the last bit is getting quite tough for him. And I think, obviously, what, what you're looking at here, and far be it for me to encourage any more divisions in this already splintered sport, but Cleverly. The jump from obviously light heavyweight to cruiserweight is twenty five pounds. Yeah. And I think both of them probably could have made a if there was a weight limit at one hundred and ninety pounds. Can't believe I'm saying this. I can't believe I'm saying this on record. But if there was, then that would fit them. You know, that would be ideal for them. And then you'd have like a junior heavyweight division above that. But you know, I don't want to go into that. I think it's it's fine as it is. But I suppose what I'm getting at is that that they're big enough to not be light heavyweights. But maybe they're not big enough to be full-blown cruiserweights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, somewhere in between. Because twenty-five pounds is a lot of weight. Yeah, and when it came about, didn't it? Because it used to be one hundred and ninety pounds. Used to be the cruiserweight limit. But then very often you had this kind of abyss between one hundred and ninety pounds and two hundred ten pounds, where heavyweights were deemed far too small yeah. for the division. So they they kind of compromised it that way. But it's De- definitely. I mean, either way, at that you know that you couldn't see Belly or Cleverly fighting above that. Yeah. You know, whereas if it was 190 pounds, you could also, you could possibly see them both going yeah, into the heavyweight yeah. division yeah. at some point. You can't see them either going into heavyweight division at some point. And I mean, I think there was some very honest stuff from both of them, particularly Bellew, who I spoke to on the Saturday and the Sunday. I've come to think of it on the Friday as well, but I caught up with him on the phone on the Sunday, and he basically says, um, and we've got we've got the longer story in our news section this week um, that you know they're not. They're not arguably the best guys in the world. They're not superstars. They're not megastars. But what they have is a very real grudge. Uh, and, um, and that sells. And so they know that to make the most money, they need to fight each other because that's how the business works. And, and I mean, it was, it was fascinating to watch. I mean, as Cleverly was bombing, bombing away at Sean Corbin, could hear Bellew, who was sitting just to my left, saying, Throw the right hook, throw the right hook, yeah. get in there, get in, throw yeah. the right hook. So, yeah. It was shouting encouragement. And then when Cleverly 
who actually scored with a couple of right hooks around the time Bellew was shouting for the advice. Um, when Cleverly did put him away, Bellew leapt off his seat, jumped into the air, punched, punched his fist in the air and looked just across between extremely happy and very relieved that the payday is still intact. Yeah. And uh, obviously on, on their go to November 29th, the first fight was an absolute belter yeah. and there's no reason to suggest that the se- a second fight would be anything other than that. No, the second one would be fascinating. I think most people expect it because of their relative experience at world level. Uh, thought that you know, Cleverly would win the first fight fairly comfortably, but it was such a, it was such a close fight um, that to me that rematch is is yeah really really interesting fight something I look forward to a lot. Yeah, it was a good show though in, in Wales. I enjoyed it. Um, there was a lot of highs. Um, Paul Smith made quick work of David Sarabia um, as expected. Uh, like the look of Alex Hughes, who's trained by Gary Lockett. Um, an impressive looking uh, youngster who's now 1-0 after winning his debut Lockett's raved about him to me in the past I, was, I quite enjoyed Lee Selby's display of boxing some people were, I think were bored to tears by it but I thought it's sometimes nice to watch someone pick his punches and box intelligently and, and I think that's what he did um, Callum Smith I thought looked brilliant against Tobias Webb yeah. uh, the first, first round Tobias Webb Seemed to make some kind of indent in, in Smith, but then Smith, who's got such a long, lean torso, sort of used to uses that to bury some really horrible body shots in, which ended up uh, ending the night for Tobias Webb. And obviously, you got to, for me, the, the show was stolen by um, Gavin Reese, who, um, fingers crossed, because he said it for a while, he signed off the end of his career with a victory over Gary Buckland in a fight that probably wasn't as, quite as tasty as their first fight but was enthralling all the way through, had some incredibly um, passionate exchanges all the way through, but it was won by Reese, banking a few rounds by boxing sensibly for me, um, and two of the judges agreed. In fact, one judge, Richie Davis, I think should hang his head. He scored for Buckland, uh, and not even Buckland scored for Buckland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, that was, a, that, was, that was the sort of one sour point for me, really. On that night, though, and I know that you haven't caught it yet, I'll give it an honourable mention. People on Twitter and what have you had raved about, um, had raved about the fight that was on Channel 5 that night that saw Travis Dickinson uh, defeat Matty Clarkson. And when I got in from Wales that night, it had been a long night, and it was about 4 o'clock in the morning or so, I suppose, when I got home, I couldn't resist. I put it on, and it was just captivating stuff. What a fight from Matty Clarkson and, and Travis Dickinson. And I got a tweet from Matty Clarkson last week because the, the magazine had picked, picked against him. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we got to pick one or two guys. You know, if we'd picked Clarkson, maybe I would have heard from Dickinson. You know, that's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Um, as it turned out, we were right to go with Dickinson, but full credit to, to both guys for putting on just a, an absolutely heroic display in a, in a tremendous fight, which... Is quite probably the fight of the year contender or front runner certainly um, domestically, and you can't say any more any any fairer than that really. When you um, when you think of the terrific fights we've already had domestically, certainly Reese Buckland won, Crawler Murray, the Tommy the Tommy Coyle fight, and uh, one or two others. We've had some belters, but Dickinson Clarkson was visceral. It was 
everything you want in a fight and much much more um, proper throwback stuff so if you haven't seen it try and get a look at it and uh, and if Matty or Travis are listening to this um, full respect to both of you because you guys put on a hell of a show for a lot of people in front of a Channel 5 audience yeah that was I mean I haven't seen the fighters yet um, kind of a long story but moved to Brighton about two months ago and it literally took until Sunday just passed for um, to me to get Sky and everything else plumbed in long laborious tale um, but yeah now certainly look out for that one because so many people are saying it's a throwback and the fact that it was on Channel 5 as well can only be good for boxing yeah good stuff this weekend we've already touched upon Adonis Stevenson he's fighting uh, Andre Fonfara um, what do you make of the fight Fonfara Six to one underdog with Betway to win. It's a bit long, I think. It's a bit long. I think that's perhaps um, Stevenson's reputation running away with him a little bit. Um, but no, I don't think it's a mismatch. I think quite a lot of people have, have, have said that when this was made. Um, but you know, if he's not going to fight Kovalev and he's not going to fight Hopkins, for far as fine for me for a stay busy fight. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, th- I think there's nothing wrong with a Fonfara fight. Well, the only thing wrong with it is that it's not Kovalev in the opposite mm-hmm. corner, but there's nothing, like you say, as far as keeping busy, is a decent opponent. He hasn't been chinned for many, many moons, and he's looked good in some of his more recent performances, and even when he hasn't looked that good, he's pulled out a big KO out somewhere. Yeah. So, um, good fight. And, uh, do you know what? There's one fight that's tucked away on that undercard, which I really like the look of. David Lemieux and Fernando Guerrero. Two guys that seem to be heading for the top, faltered somewhat, and now meet at some kind of crossroads fight where the winner can maybe move on to a title fight and the, and the loser, well, faces a bit of a rebuilding job. So I think under the radar, look out for that fight. David Lemieux yeah. from Fernando Guerrero, I think that will be a really thrilling fight. Um, Matt, what else is going on? What are you working on this week? Um, well, I've just literally moments ago put up um, the call transcript from Sergio Martinez um, and Sergio Martinez is has been a bit of a web hero for us recently if, if you haven't got around to um, reading um, a really really honest interview um, the majority of which will be in um, uh, June 4th issue um, but the kind of few bits that didn't make it are on the website now and kind of ferociously honest and what I really, really like um, in a person is humility and it really pours out of that, particularly someone who's, who's, who would perhaps have reason not to be. And Sergio Martinez comes across as an absolute gentleman, as Miguel Cotto very often does as well. And I just think and hope, perhaps more so, that that fight on June 7th will be the credit to the sport that I believe it will be. Yeah, good stuff. In the magazine, actually, with this week, um, talk about humility. We've got a very interesting uh, interview of a very interesting figure. Uh, Danny Flexen spoken to Virgil Hunter, who addresses a lot of uh, uh, the criticism, the negativity surrounding him. Um, it is a really, really terrific read. And he also talks, uh, obviously, about Amir Khan, who's become one of his star students. And there's also uh, some interesting insight on... Uh, his relationship with Andre Ward and how Andre Ward's been affected by the business side of the sport. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some really interesting reading in there. So well worth a well worth a look. Of course, he's training Brandon Gonzalez to fight James DeGale, 
who's also featured in the magazine, in fact, is this, this week's co- uh, cover star. So there's plenty of stuff going on, but Matt, I can't say, it's kind of like the elephant in the room at the moment. You can't have a boxing discussion without saying Frotch and Groves, can you? No. I mean, I've been working on the preview. I've just about finished it. I've got, actually got it here in my hands. It's all written. It's finished. I've picked a winner. I've missed... Like I've had two broken nights of sleep thinking about this. I don't think I've ever invested so much personal energy into a preview. Um, and I don't know, I might still change the last couple of paragraphs before we go to press um, next week. But which way are you going if you had to put your money down today? Frotch, probably. But it is one of those where... I mean, like you just say, I mean... The, 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 the mind, you know, tosses and turns in terms of which way it, you know, thinks this fight is going to go, and it is still for me. I just, I'm not, I'm not certain. Well, of course, you can't be certain, but I've got very little faith in in, in what I'm saying with regards to Frotch Groves because there's so many, there's so many intangibles, there's so much going on behind the scenes, and and you also wonder if you, you know, while these two seem to be kind of although one will, will probably admit it, the other will not. There's, there's certainly mind games going on between the both of them, but it's very hard to not become entwined and get involved in those mind games, whether you know it or not as well. So, you know, as much as you, you, you felt sympathy for, 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 George, for the finish into, from George Groves' point of view last time, um, my immediate reaction was, OK, well, Frotch would, would, would win a rematch. The fact that I'm doubting that now, is that because I'm starting to buy into what George Groves is saying? Or is that... You know, did you, did you just see that Groves had faster feet, faster hands, is the f- younger, fresher man? I mean, that's the thing. You know you say you couldn't, you couldn't sort of say with any confidence. I think that's my problem with the, pre- with the preview, with what I've written. I've, I've got so much confidence in Frotch's abilities and what he does well and so much confidence in Groves' abilities as to what he does well, you can make compelling arguments for both. Yeah, you can. You, and and you, can be, you can be very opinionated about who wins and how. And in fact, I tweeted that out this morning. I was a little bit torn about it. And the, and the responses I got were, were crazy. Um, and some saying, you know, you, you can't be seeing it right if you see anything other than a frotch win. And... Groves is 100% going to win. It's like, I mean, that's yeah. why it's so captivating because, you know, people are split on this one and yeah. they weren't the first time around. No, exactly. And that's, that, that's, what you, that's exactly what you're getting. We put something on Twitter, we put something on Facebook and immediately you've got... You know, it's probably 50-50, really is 50-50. You'll get this immediate angry Groves fan kind of um, dismissing, dismissing the headline if it favours Frotch. Or you'll you'll have a you know a, a happy frotch fan doing vice versa, and it's it is like that. You can go down the timeline, and it's grows frotch, grows frotch, grows frotch, grows frotch. I remember speaking to Callie Salon just before the frotch grows fight. I'd done the preview for the magazine. Incidentally, I picked frotch to win in about nine rounds. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did miss a few details <laughs> on the way, <laughs> um, but yeah, so. But he, but he was saying, you know what, I've just got a feeling, and it's kind of interesting now with hindsight in the, the announcement this weekend that he signed with, 
uh, with, with the Groves that signed with the Sowlands. Um, he was just, he was just like, I've just got a nagging feeling that George Groves is going to win. He's too young. He's going to be too fresh. Um, and I kind of thought, yeah, I can see that point of view. Now that we have seen um, evidence to an extent of that, and we've seen evidence of that in the fight in, in their first fight, it's hard to dismiss it now that, that Groves has got a fantastic chance of ending the career of Carl Froch. But at the same time, the other thing that he's kind of dragging you back the other way is that that fight, ultimately, that fight did finish in the ninth round. You can make... You know, you can make a very real case to say that if he hadn't finished in the ninth, it wouldn't have looked on the distance and George Groves wouldn't have been the winner. George Groves has never been through a tough fight and been through those championship rounds. That's not to say that he can't, but the fact of the matter is that he hasn't, whereas Carl Froch has been time and time again. It's absolutely fascinating. And next week, from, uh, from, from Monday onwards, we're going to be... Living, breathing, and eating Frotch Groves fight week, yeah, aren't yeah. we? We've yeah, got yeah, really um, there's Frotch's um, public workout on the Monday in Nottingham. Groves and the, and the other London fighters, including his old mate James DeGale and Anthony Joshua, at the shopping centre at Westfield on a Tuesday. Um, on Wednesday, the undercard press conference. Wednesday, uh, Thursday, the main event press conference. Yeah. Friday, weigh in. Saturday, fight day. Yeah. And our website will be packed with Frotch Grove stuff throughout Fight Week. We'll be live on the night, John and myself, uh, with Matt, John and, and, and me also um, filling up content on Sunday and Monday with all the post-fight stuff. So uh, we hope that you live, breathe and enjoy the fight with us. Um, obviously there will be a podcast next week when we'll be completely entrenched with <laughs> well, with Frotch Grove's mania yeah. um, so by all means download next week uh, we hope you've enjoyed this one we certainly have uh, we'll be back uh, next week in the midst of Frotch and Grove's <laughs>